0: This is Christ, Culture, and Coffee, an apologetics podcast to help equip Christians to engage the culture through biblical, critical thinking. Your hosts for this podcast are Robbie Lashua and Tyler Hurley. Robbie is pastor of apologetics at Desert Springs Community Church, as well as professor of apologetics,
1: worldview, and ethics at Mission Bible Institute. He is a graduate of Phoenix Seminary, as well as a graduate of the Master's in Christian Apologetics program at Biola University.
0: Tyler is currently earning his undergraduate degree in theology at Grand Canyon University
1: and currently serves as an apologetics intern at Desert Springs Community Church. Hello, welcome to Christ, Culture, and Coffee. I'm Robbie Lashua, and I'm here uh, with a very special guest, Eric Johnson from Mormonism Research Ministry. Uh, thanks, Eric, for being with us again on the podcast. It's my pleasure. Um, Eric is the author of many books, Mormonism 101, Mormonism 101 for Teens, uh, Answering Mormon's Questions, and he's also an editor, along with Sean McDowell, of a new book, Sharing Good the Good News with Mormons. So all of these would be very, very uh, useful to you to pick up, so you can find those Uh, links to those books in the show notes as well as links to uh, his website mrm.org but eric we're so thankful that you're here with us Um, we had you on uh, an earlier podcast where we talked about why mormons don't drink coffee um, but today uh, we're going to start off with a coffee tip because that's what we do on Christ Culture and Coffee. We talk about different tips, and um, people have been sending us in so many different ideas about coffee because they're hoping to get a coffee mug from us yeah. that has our logo on it. So sounds
0: like I want one of those too. <laughs> yeah,
1: they're pretty good. Yeah, maybe I mean, if you play your cards right, I'll give you one. We I always have to ask
0: a good question.
1: Yes, we always tell people you can't buy them, you can't get them, you can't bribe <laughs> us. You can only get them collector market through the coffee tip. Yep. <laughs> So um, today's coffee tip winner is Arturo. So Arturo, thanks so much for sending in this tip. Um, and this is basically a tip on how you can make a quick uh, latte. If you don't have, you know, if you don't want to buy a huge cappuccino machine and get the foamer and all of that stuff, he says that uh, one of the things his dad used to do when he was young was he would take a mug and he'd pour milk about one fourth of the way up the mug. So not not a ton, just a little bit of milk in there. And then put it in the microwave for uh, uh, about 30 seconds until the milk starts to foam. And then when the foam's about to overflow and explode and make a mess of your microwave, you you stop the microwave and then add instant coffee to it. And it's a quick, easy way to make a latte if you're in a hurry, it takes 30 seconds. Now. I do want to just say I don't endorse instant coffee because it's <laughs> disgusting, <laughs> and I'm kind of a coffee snob. However, uh, Starbucks has, has created their own uh, instant coffee called Via, and I really like that because it really is coffee beans, and they micro-ground it so fine that it, it dissolves in water, oh. but it's literally um, coffee beans. So it's not, there's no chemicals, there's no coffee flavor. It's just pure coffee, but they, they grind it so fine that it dissolves into your hot milk or your hot water. And uh, you can have a good cup of coffee with your camping or if you're in a hurry. So I would definitely use Via <laughs> if you're gonna make this latte.
0: Look at what science gives us.
1: Yeah, exactly, yeah to be able to to grind it so fine. It's pretty good too. So Arturo, thanks so much for that tip. We will be mailing you out a coffee mug uh, sometime this week. So if you do have coffee tips for us, if you wanna win one of these mugs, make sure you email them into me. Um, All the contact information for that will be in the show notes. All right. today we're gonna get into some current issues going on with the Mormon Church and with the current prophet, things he's saying that the Lord's revealed to him, and then also answering the question, uh, is the Mormon Church the only true church on the planet? Is it the restored church of Jesus Christ? And so, I'm so thankful, Eric, that you are here with your expertise to walk us through uh, these types of issues. So, uh, the current prophet, he's, he's some, somewhat new to, to being the prophet of the Mormon Church, right?
0: Right. He uh, became the prophet in January after the 16th president of the church. The first one was Joseph Smith. The second one was Brigham Young. And they've always had a man who was the leader of the church. But the 16th president, Thomas S. Monson, passed away. I think he was 89 or 90 years of age. Mm-hmm. And so the, the senior ranking apostle will take over. That was Russell M. Nelson. And he ended up uh, becoming the president at 93 years of age. Today, he's now 94 years of wow. age. He's a former doctor. He was a great physician in his day. Uh, he did some of the early uh, heart transplants that were out there. And, and he, uh, he, had, he has a lot of background as far as professional life. But okay. he is now the leader and the direct connection between us and God. He's, he's the intermediary, if you will between God and man.
1: How do uh, the Mormon Mormon elders uh, pick who the new prophet's gonna be? How does that work? Because I know, like the Catholic Church with the Pope, right? right. they kind of have a council and they vote on it. How does it work with the LDS Church? It's the
0: senior ranking apostle. So we know if right now Russell were to pass away, mm-hmm. Dallin Oaks, who is happens to be the first counselor in the first presidency, there are two men underneath the president, he picks them out of the apostles to be under him. So, Dallin Oaks would be the next president. I think he's 87 or 88. So, and these it's guys just are based
1: on how long you've been in apostle. Mormon, an apostle yeah. in Mormon leadership. That's your okay.
0: seniority. The second you get picked and you get put in. Now, that's okay. always the mystery. Who's going to be the new apostle when an apostle dies? I see. That takes, that's where everybody's speculating, and they'll announce that at a general conference. They have general conferences in April and October, first weekends, and that's where the leaders get together, and they speak authoritatively. Okay. Okay. Uh, a few years ago they actually had to name two apostles in one conference and there was lots of hope especially from the hispanic community and from the african-american community there might be a hispanic or an african-american and it turned out that didn't happen they have not had a real true um uh hispanic that or or or, um uh, an african-american they have an asian that they just named uh, recently, Garrett Gong, okay. but he grew up in America, so yes, he looks like an Asian, but he never spoke Chinese or anything I gotcha. like that.
1: Interesting. Okay. And so, okay, so once once you get into the queue of Apostle. If you outlive other guys, That's it. you get to be the prophet. Isn't that you, you put it in such a straightforward manner, but yes, you
0: just have to live longer than everybody else to become the head leader. Okay. That's how God determines if you
1: aren't meant to be the leader, I guess you're not going to live. So, so they always have, they, they, I mean, they will always have a really old prophet. Well um right now the top 3
0: leaders of the church are all very old in their 80s and then you go you get to the 4th and 5th now they're going to go now they're only in their 70s okay but so you got to
1: get through a few guys before we that
0: th- we think probably in the next 5 years you could see one, two, or three men pass away. Wow. And then now these guys that are in their 70s, barely in, entering into their 80s, might have
1: a chance to take over. I see. Okay. So how do they go about picking who's going to be the new apostles? Is that the, the apostles kind of vote on it? Or? They
0: Yes, they, they get together and they supposedly say it's unanimous that uh, they, they interview, they'll give you interviews. Okay. And I guess it would be speculating like a Supreme Court nominee, who's going to be the person. But Bill and I have tried very hard over the years to predict who uh-huh. it might be. We even have come up with 10 candidates, and we've never once gotten it right. <laughs> but I'm okay. going to say this. Generally, there's somebody with direct ties to Utah, Okay. generally white. I mean, very rare. Garrett Gong would be an exception, but they're usually what we call the good old boy network. They okay. have shown their faithfulness throughout the years, probably served as a mission president, served as a general authority. And normally have really absolutely no theological training. They don't have like a seminary they go to. Most of them are successful businessmen or doctors like this. Okay. Or lawyers as Dallin Oaks is. So these are professionals.
1: Interesting. So currently the new prophet since January is Russell Nelson. Yep. Um, And he actually came out with a statement in August about something that the Lord had revealed to him.
0: Yeah, August 16, 2018, he said, quote, The Lord impressed upon my mind the importance of the name he decreed for his church, even the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. A few days later, he's touring Canada. And uh, wherever he's going, there are huge crowds. Because to, to get to see the prophet is like seeing the president of the United States. It's, okay. it's an honor. And he was getting a lot of questions from reporters and others about this, this revelation, really, is what it is. And he was kind of surprised by the hubbub caused by that announcement. And he said this. He told one crowd, we released that announcement to the media on Thursday. And, oh, they're pretty excited about it uh it can't be done they would say i know it can't but i'm going to be but it's going to be because the lord wants it that way Hmm. so the idea is he is saying that god gets offended whenever we use the word mormon to refer to the church or to an individual who's a member of this church or, or when you use lds or when you use the word mormonism to describe the religion because in Doctrine and Covenants, one of the four standard works, the revelations that Joseph Smith received during his lifetime, the founder of this religion, when, when uh, he wrote down uh, D&C section one, it was told that the church was to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is interesting because in 1834, they took out part of the name and it was just known as the, uh, the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Oh. From 1834 to 1838. Then they restored it again. I'm not sure why those four years they took it out if God said very clearly in the very beginning they were supposed to be known as the Church of Jesus Christ yeah. in, in Latter-day Saints. And so what, what, uh, what, what Nelson is saying here, in fact, this is what he said at the General Conference in October. He said it's not a name change, it's not a rebranding, it's not cosmetic, it's not a whim, and he says it's not inconsequential. He said all those terms. Hmm. He says, some weeks ago, I released a statement regarding a course correction for the name of the church. Instead, it is a correction. It is the command of the Lord. Jesus Christ did not name the church restored through him, neither did Mormon. It was a savior himself who said, for thou, thus shall my church be called in the last days, even the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's from D&C One. Thus the name of the church is not negotiable. When the Savior, Savior clearly states what the name of his church should be and even precedes his declaration with, thus shall my church be called, he is serious. And if we allow nicknames to be used or adopt or even sponsor those nicknames ourselves, God is offended.
1: Hmm.
0: Wow. I mean, yeah, that's, that's pretty a pretty major. Yeah. Because... Okay, what you're telling me is that the Mormon Tabernacle Choir for, (laughs) I don't know how many years, over a century, this famous choir has sung for presidents and queens and traveled the world, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir, or how about the different advertising campaigns. Like, I am a Mormon. They had a number of people give their testimonies. Mormon was just a name for a person. Obviously, it's not referring to the person who the Book of Mormon is named after. The Book of Mormon is named after the father of Moroni, who compiled all the gold plates, supposedly, and put them together, gave them to his son Moroni, who later buries them in a hill that Joseph Smith later on dug in 1823 when the angel Moroni came Mm -hmm. and visited him. Obviously, the word Mormon is a nickname that the Mormon yeah. people have actually taken with great uh, enthusiasm. They love the name so much that uh, they, they, if you ask a person who was a member of this
1: church... What are you? Well, I'm a Mormon. It was an easy way to be yeah. able to say, "Oh, okay." It's a I way get, to distinguish, you. Him. yeah, sure, yeah. And that—that's what's been interesting to me about this, because I'm thinking, what—what what is he trying to accomplish with the name change? I, I know for before this, for a long time, uh, Mormons would say to me, "You know, yeah, Mormon's a nickname. We didn't give it to ourselves. It was kind of given to us. Um, but it's okay. Um, but they would, you know, they even push for a long time. But we—we're just Christians. Right. We want to be called Christian. Right. And so, is that? Is that kind of behind this to where we don't want to be tagged with the negativity that's been tagged with? So we're trying to, you know, he says it's not a rebranding, but I'm trying to move away from that to make it kind of indistinguishable from Christianity or maybe it's another domination or... I, I, what What is what is he trying to accomplish?
0: I think what he wants is that name Jesus Christ, which is a name that gets missionaries into homes in Latin America mm-hmm. and other places. That okay. name is very important. If you ask a Latter-day Saint, well-meaning Christians will say, well, do you believe in Jesus? And they get offended because and the missionaries will point to their badge. It's the Church of, and in big letters, they changed that back in the 1990s. A New York advertising firm said Emphasize your Jesus Christ. To make the font size bigger. They made it three <laughs> times bigger. So yeah, that name is there, and no they'll point and they'll say, "No, we believe in Jesus," and that can be really confusing for a lot of well-meaning evangelical Christians who wanna share their faith and they ask, well, do you believe in salvation by grace? Well, yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. Oh, do you believe in the Bible? Oh, yeah, we do. Oh, well, okay. Well, uh, What's the big deal? Pastor What's Robbie different? was telling me that, that, that Mormonism is different than Christianity, but they believe the same things. No, they have the same terms, mm-hmm. they just have different meanings. And so whenever you're talking to a Latter-day Saint and you're coming into this and you don't know much, very very much about the religion, Ask them what they mean by it. What do you mean Jesus Christ uh, is your savior? Can you explain what that means in your own words? I'm not gonna tell you what you believe. You should never tell You tell me, yeah. Yeah. And and say, please explain to me what, what, what does it mean when you say you believe in Jesus as your savior? Or you believe in salvation by grace. Can you help me understand? And what we were talking about on the previous show that I was on is we have to really understand where the other person is coming from if we hope to be successful in being able to share our faith. And so that name Jesus, you don't have to know very much in Ecuador, or in Papua New Guinea, mm-hmm. you, that name will get you in a door. Oh, we're Christians. We're Christian uh, missionaries, and we've come to share Jesus with you. And this this is the Bible, that's great. You have the Bible, wonderful. Here's the rest of the story. Don't you want part two? Yeah. The sequel, and it tells how Jesus came to the Americas soon after he raises up in Acts chapter one, and he uh, here, here's Jesus talking to the Nephites and the Lamanites from in America mm-hmm. and uh, so this this is a, um, a very important way for I think the church to explain that they are Christian too because they they believe Jesus but they just don't believe the same version of Jesus that we hold to in Christianity.
1: Yeah, yeah that seems it's interesting. It's almost as, as if they're trying to confuse people to not really know who we are so we can do more missions work. Um, Man, that's interesting. Well, in his revelation, he talked about how they're the the restored church. And uh, a lot of people that I've talked with, a lot of Christians I've talked with, they don't understand this doctrine. So can we get into, like, what does the Mormon church mean when they say they're the restored church? What did Joseph Smith teach about this? How did that come about? The Christian
0: church, soon after the death of the original 12 apostles— probably John was the last living mm-hmm. on the island Patmos and, and, uh, and so all the other ones were for the most part martyred. Mm-hmm. John, we don't know if, if he was martyred, may very well have died of old age. And so soon after, and the leaders have never said when this is, but probably in the second century AD, the authority had been lost. The priesthood authority, according to Mormonism, there is what's called the Aaronic and the Melchizedek priesthood. And today, young boys at the age of 12 can get the Aaronic priesthood.
1: And that comes from Aaron. Right? Aaron, Aaron right. Moses' brother. Aaronic, yeah. yeah. Okay. And
0: so, so that is certainly talked about in the Bible. Sure. And then you have the Melchizedek priesthood. There's not really a priesthood in the Bible uh, referred to as a Melchizedek priesthood, but in the order of Melchizedek, it says in Hebrews. That Jesus was the one who was a yes. Melchizedek priest, but eighteen-year-old boys can get that. Males are the only ones who get the priesthood. Well, the church did not have the authority to have that priesthood because there was what's called the Great Apostasy. All authority was lost, and uh, meaning really-
1: that meaning that Christianity went off the rails and nobody had the truth
0: well they may have had semblance of truth but they did not have the authority to be able to perform baptisms okay. to be able to do the temple ceremonies or other things like that well-meaning people they'll talk kindly of martin luther and wycliffe and others and they'll say they did the best they could in those days mm-hmm. and but really, it went off the rails, if you want to call it that. In the 4th century, there was a Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. And if you ask a Latter-day Saint to explain to you what the Council of Nicaea is, they have no clue. They think that's where the Trinity was invented.
1: Oh, that's not and, true. Uh, yeah. and, well, the
0: Trinity is not found in the Bible. Sure. And you were talking about that the other day in your talk. That, yeah. That yeah, the When the, when a Mormon says, yeah, the Trinity's not even found in the Bible, you say, well, I wouldn't expect it to be because it's Latin. Yeah. And the, it's Koine Greek in the New Testament so try in unity two words put together but the idea in the council of um, Nicaea in 325 is that they were trying to determine if a man named Arius was correct in his assumption that Jesus was created and that there was this uh, false worship of Jesus that should not be happening because he was not God in the flesh in fact today Jehovah's Witnesses are a great example of people who follow the teachings of of Arius he used verses like the father is greater than I in John 14 28 well there obviously Jesus is not God because he says the father is greater but you Mm -hmm. have to understand a lot to be able you know read your Bibles and know what it's talking about and that's what Arius was going against but there were other teachers uh Athanasius Uh, would be one, Alexander was another. And for the most part, there were 350 bishops or so, only a couple sided with Arius when they were all done. And the rest said, the Bible teaches there is one God and yet Jesus is God as well, because it's very clear. Now they didn't really deal with the whole Trinity issue. It actually does not get talked about fully until 381, the Council Mm -hmm. of Constantinople, where they also dealt with the Holy Spirit. Because if you read the Nicene Creed today, it kind of doesn't say much about the Holy Spirit. It's all about Jesus, but that was the issue they were dealing with. But the idea that the Trinity was formulated in the 4th century, as false as it is, and we have roots going back to the 2nd century, we can look and see that this is something that was taught even though the church was underground Mm -hmm. and it was being persecuted. So it wasn't like they were coming out with systematic theologies for everybody to read. So there were some weaknesses. But But when Constantine becomes a Christian, now it becomes in vogue to be able to to talk about these things and have councils. But but, uh, Joseph Smith said... Uh, this would be a wonderfully big God. It would be a monster if the Trinity was true. You know, hmm. Three beings in one being, how does that work? They had a false understanding of that Trinity. So it wasn't until 1820, Joseph Smith is seeking after God, find, trying to find out which of all the churches in the Second Great Awakening were true. The okay. Methodists, the Presbyterians, the Baptists. And so he prayed using James 1.5 as his source that you can ask for God for wisdom. And if, and if you're sincere you know you're going to be able to find it that's james 1:5 is talking about wisdom and not knowledge but mm-hmm. he took that verse wrongly prays about it he goes out into what's called the sacred grove in upstate new york where he lived and god the father and jesus appeared to him it's called the first vision it's a historical event in mormonism if that's not true, then then the whole religion falls apart. And the mm-hmm. leaders very clearly have said
1: that to be the case. So the question I have about the first vision is, yeah. was anybody with him?
0: Nobody was with him. Of
1: course not. Yeah. Because that's exactly what Muhammad said when he was in the yeah. cave by himself. Yep. It's very convenient to say this historic event happened with no eyewitnesses. And not only that,
0: Robbie, but you have nobody talking about this first vision. The earliest account is 1832, 12 wow. years after the fact. He writes about the Lord appearing to him in his diary. And then in 1835, you have about nine different versions of this first vision until you get the official one in 1842 in times and seasons. So there's all kinds of issues with that. But 1820, first vision, 1823, he's sleeping with his brother in his room and an angel comes in, makes the whole thing bright, and it's Moroni. He used to be a living human being who the Book of Mormon story talks about. Uh, the last living Nephite came back as an angel after being human and shows him the place where he buried these plates. So long story short, Joseph Smith gets those plates in 1827 and supposedly translates those plates. They're later taken back by the angel. Nobody ever sees them for real. They see them in vision. Uh, he's the only one that ever really sees them. And then, and then eight- they're gone. They're gone. So they're you can't verify it. You can't verify it. Okay. So then in 1830, he founds the church, prints the Book of Mormon in April 6th. They have six members. And that's how this church gets reestablished. So it's known as the restored church because the former church, all kinds of problems. The Bible we have actually cannot be trusted. They do Mm -hmm. believe in the King James Version of the Bible, but only as far as it's translated correctly. And what they mean by translation is not like the New World Translation. We would say that's a terrible translation that Jehovah's Witnesses yeah. have done. Yeah. And you have lots of versions. And when time you take one language and try to move it into another, there's going to be weaknesses. Sure. But, uh, but they don't mean translation. They mean transmission. Because Joseph Smith said there were many corrupt teachers, priests, who were adding things in and subtracting them. Well, that's an argument that we actually deal with. In chapter two or three of our book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons, Matt Slick talks about how we have over 5,000 Greek manuscripts. Yep. For you to try to say that something was added or subtracted, well, that's the beauty of having all these manuscripts because you can trace them back to as early as they go. and you can see where maybe an heir entered in at a certain point yeah. and, and we
1: know that it entered and yeah. so that means we know what was original right yeah absolutely so they yeah. don't really have a leg to stand on in that but even with his uh, even the story that he tells of in the second great awakening going around is are the methodists right are the presbyterians right the answer to that is yes
0: yeah
1: the, the, both of both of them were teaching the gospel yeah. so the, his assumption of which church is the correct meaning the others aren't correct that was a false assumption, yeah. and then the other thing I've always had—it's bugged me about this story—is he believes that that verse from James is accurate. How do the Mormons know that that wasn't corrupt and added by some evil priest at a certain time? It's a great question, and
0: uh, and so if you're going to use the Bible and then diss on verses that don't agree with your philosophy, but then accept the other ones, well, and, and I think you could actually say that. Joseph Smith could have known in 1833, he was, he he, he retranslated the Bible, mm-hmm. the New Testament, and well, the whole Bible, but uh, he, he did little sections. He has no real Greek or Hebrew. He had a little bit of Hebrew he dabbled in, but, uh, and so he does do a lot of changes. It's called the Joseph Smith translation or the inspired version, uh-huh. and you can buy it today. The church doesn't use it officially. Why? But why? Because it's owned by the Community of Christ, an offshoot of Mormonism. They're, they're oh, in Independence, Missouri, and so they still own the copyright, and so they don't want to have to buy this through them. But they use it all the time. Okay. They, they use it at every general conference. They use it in every Ensign uh, magazine that comes out, the official hmm. magazine of the church, to give more um, to give more understanding of particular verses. In fact, they put together... Uh, a bible that with all the notes it's called the quad all four scriptures and in the bible they actually have notes that will say oh by the way joseph smith gave us more information there i see he adds okay. actually in genesis chapter 50 half a chapter of prophecy about himself
1: and oh right that's in the actually, middle oh, yeah okay. he actually writes that in it was in it's
0: found in the book of mormon and he puts it in there as well as if somehow we have no manuscript evidence nothing from the dead sea scrolls for instance says that this portion that Talks about Joseph the seer. Yeah. He's talking about in G- Genesis 50. He's talking about Joseph the patriarch. But mm-hmm. th- th- there would be another man named who would be a, um, a who would come later, and they think that's a direct fulfillment through Joseph. Well, death. and
1: and that's a real problem for us because he added himself into the middle of Isaiah, and the argument was after the death of the apostles this book got corrupted. But we have manuscripts from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which were around before the apostles were even born, of of Isaiah, the Great Isaiah Scroll. 125, the Great Isaiah
0: Scroll found in Cave 1. Absolutely. And uh, And there's nothing
1: in there about Joseph Smith.
0: Nothing at all. So if if I want to
1: believe what he said is true, I have to believe he's a false prophet.
0: See, back in the day of Joseph Smith, they didn't have the Dead Sea Scrolls. We mm-hmm. didn't have as much information about the accuracy of the manuscripts, and, and uh, Joseph Smith could basically say whatever he would want, and the Mormons were supposed to believe him. When he mm. gets an 1835 papyri from a traveling salesman, and is told and then he tells his people that this is from the hand of Abraham yeah. and he translates it. Well, it's very clear that he did not know Reformed Egyptian if there was such a language. He doesn't know the hieroglyphics. Yep. That's been a hard one since that manuscript has resurfaced in 1967, the Mormons don't know what to do with that because (laughs) now they have said actually with that that Joseph Smith did not make a literal translation but made an inspired translation. But what does that mean? If I take a Greek manuscript and I come up with something completely different than what it says because I don't know the Koine Greek and I say, well, yeah, it's not exactly what it says, but it's what it should have said. Well, now you've just created yourself as the authority, and that's a major problem. But yep. This great apostasy is a big deal. The missionaries are told they're supposed to convince the people that more is needed than the church that they go to.
1: Yeah, and that's, and that's where they'd come down on um, you know, the churches that we go to, that were part of this apostasy, right. and they're the restored church of the real Jesus on earth, everything that's been lost. And again, this is a tactic you see a lot with false teachers, is they come along and say, everyone else is wrong. And I'm the only guy who's got it right. And this is a we see this over and over and over again. And so uh, it's a common tactic that's used. Um, I actually, uh, what you're saying about the the Book of Abraham, um, the same goes for the Book of Mormon now because the Church has actually admitted that he didn't translate it like you would translate, you know, Spanish text into English, but he used the seer stone. Which is a fascinating thing because
0: in the old days, in 2001, if you go to the January Ensign front cover, this is the adult magazine for English speakers, there is a picture, a painting of Joseph Smith with his finger running across the gold plates.
1: Okay.
0: If you go to the December 2017 Ensign magazine, because they made this announcement a few years ago, mm-hmm. 2015, that Joseph Smith used a seer stone in a hat and he got this through the hat. If you go to the December issue of the Ensign Magazine of 2017 and you look at an article, and it took me a second to to catch this, but I'm looking at the picture, and I looked a little closer. The plates were covered. Here's Joseph Smith. He's he's doing the translation. He's giving it to Oliver Cowdery. I think his hand is up in the air, and Mm -hmm. he's basically saying, next, you know, this point. His hand is over here, and you can just see a little bit of a hat. Okay. So what he had done is he had just looked inside. The plates are covered. He's not looking at the plates. Yeah. He then raises up, and he gives his the words that were found,
1: whatever. Why do you need the plates? Why do they even need to be there? Yep. You're not even looking at that's them. That's the point, and, and that's what I've asked. I've asked missionaries that, explaining, and sometimes... Um, Because for so long, the the whole idea that he used a seer stone that he put in a hat and then he'd cover his face with the hat and God would show him a vision of the characters and the translation, Um, they denied that for years. Like, no, that's not what he did. And now the church is actually admitting, okay, yes, that's what happened. So the question you asked, I've asked missionary friends to say, why the charade of the gold plates? Why does he even need them? Why doesn't he just need a hat and a stone to look at? He doesn't need the plates.
0: Uh, You're making great sense here, Robbie, and for pleasure reading, I'm reading right now Doctrines of Salvation, selections from 10th President, Joseph Fielding Smith's book Mm -hmm. that was made into a leather-bound copy with gold edging around... You couldn't buy it. You, you, you were only given it by the first presidency oh. a few years ago. It's, so it's a special book. I have it, in, it here with me. And, uh, and so I was reading it last night. <laughs> and he made a big deal. I'm taking the best quotes, and we're going to use some of those quotes in, in what we do for our research. But he denied the seer stone. Really? He said the seer stone had, was not used. That's what most Mormons would have thought. But now all of a sudden, the history department comes out and it's, they're right, it was used. But here's the 10th president of the church who was a great theologian. In fact, there, there were two theologians in the church. Joseph Fielding Smith, 10th president, who actually became president in the 1970s when he was really old. He dies, I think, in 73. Okay. But before, he did this three-volume set called The Doctrines of Salvation. I mean, who's going to quibble with a guy who later became president? And he was the apostle at the time. And his son, a son-in-law, Bruce R. McConkie, who Bruce R. McConkie got a lot of what he did through Joseph Fielding Smith. Here's Joseph Fielding Smith saying there was no such thing as a seer stone that was used and uh, maybe off air I can show it to you after but uh, and uh, I'm going to put that quote up it's it's pretty damning when you say if this church is historical and if it's true is it is God so flippant as to say well at one time the seer stone wasn't used historically by Joseph Smith. <laughs> and then later, it certainly was. Yeah. Somebody's got to be wrong. The law of contradiction yeah. says you can't have something be A and not a at the same time. Did the seer stone get used, as the church says today, and as history really does show? Or was it not used, as the 10th president uh, taught? If this
1: man supposedly has a direct connection with God, yeah. then why is he teaching false teaching? Either he's lying or God's lying. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it gets down to. Yeah. Well, and, and I could be wrong. And I know you have actually, on, on MRM.org, you have links to the um, website of the LDS Church showing these things. Absolutely. So those are quick links people could go to. Yeah. But don't they... I might be wrong, but because it's been a while since I looked, but don't they literally show a picture of the Seer Stone? Oh, yeah. They yeah. say, and here it is, we have it. Well,
0: you can go to the Church History Museum across the street from Temple Square. Next uh-huh. time you go to Utah, make sure you go there. Second story, you can go see the Hall of Presidents. And, and you know, uh, I always like to take people to uh, where Kimball's picture is because underneath there's a copy of the miracle of forgiveness the very tactic i use the one book that he he wrote a number of books but that's the one book they have underneath there but Hmm. if you go downstairs they have a big huge poster they don't have the seer stone to show you but there is a seer stone picture and showing you what it is and you can go online just type in lds church seer stone and it's a chocolate um colored uh stone that's about oval shape it's not very big maybe two or three inches yeah and that was the stone that he found in a well that he said he put well they put it into a hat and then he looks at it but that's not the story the church was giving for many many years they were so denying it. when the church comes out with what are called the gospel topics essays it throws a lot of mormons into a tizzy i can't tell you how many people we talked to in the last five years who have left because of these one of the essays talks about joseph smith's polygamy he had between 30 and 40 wives. Hmm. A third of them were teenagers, as young as 14. A third of them were married to living husbands. The church admits this.
1: They're admitting their, it now.
0: In, yes, and that really bothered a lot of women because hmm. they knew Brigham Young had 54 wives. They didn't know Joseph Smith had multiple wives. Most of them, his wife didn't know. Some of them she did, but she didn't know most of them. Wow. And then also um, the seer stone is in there. Uh, You've got the book of Abraham not being a literal translation, but an inspired
1: translation. So why do you think the church is admitting to all of this stuff now? Collateral
0: damage. Let's take care of this now because we can't prevent it. It's too much weighty information that everybody knows. In fact, even LDS scholars have admitted for the last year's that these things are true and so Hmm. even even some of their best Uh, Richard Bushman wrote a book called Joseph Smith Rough Stone Rolling and he admitted to a lot of the things before these essays came out Wow so uh, there there have been a number of things I'll tell you I think a big part was back in 2010 there was a group of Swedish Latter-day Saints who were livid when they were finding out this information on the internet the internet has negatives to it, but lots of positives. And so they brought in the top historians to this uh, in Stockholm, I think it was. And it was a secret meeting, although it was taped. Somebody taped it. You can listen to the tapes online today. And they want to know about Joseph Smith's polygamy. They want to know about uh, the seer Stone. They want Mm -hmm. to know about the Book of Abraham, which is the number one reason why Mormons are leaving the church. Book of Abraham is huge. If he couldn't do that, how did we know he did the Book of Mormon? And these men, the, the leaders, uh, one guy's name was Richard Turley. Uh, he said, we're working on it. We're, we're going to be coming out in the next few years. We're going to be we're going to be admitting to some of the... Th- or we're he didn't say admitting, <laughs> but, but we're going to be explaining these things. Well, these saints were mad. Why did you make us believe that Joseph Smith was only married to one woman? Yeah. We never did that. Well, yeah. If you go look at the primary books and the other things, you never hear of anybody but Emma. And everybody thinks. We did something with this in... And I'm going to say the year was 2005, I think it was. Maybe it was two, no, 2007. We go out to a pageant called the Mormon Miracle Pageant in Manti, Utah. Mm-hmm. It's on the side of a Mormon hill in a town that at the time was 90% LDS. People come from all over to see this pageant. They've been doing it for over 50 years now. We always, as Christians, like to go out and share our faith before the pageant starts at 930. Mm-hmm. One year, we decided to do a tactic, Robbie. We took... We took um, thirty-three women of the approximate ages of the wives that Joseph Smith had, and we we dressed them up in pioneer garb. Mm-hmm. We put a sign around their necks saying who they were, and on the back had all the information for the girl who wasn't an expert on that particular wife. Sure, but to be able to read it, we had girls as young as thirteen and fourteen who paraded with girls who were or ladies who were fifty. Okay, you know, because Joseph Smith had a a couple of 50-year-old wives. Hmm. So we paraded them out there, and then they just stood there. And I can't tell you in 2007 how angry a lot of the Latter-day Saints were. They came up saying, this is wrong. This is not true. Emma was his wife. I mean, over wow. and over. So we had all the information. We had um, we, we had several books that explained, from Mormon perspectives, mm-hmm. all the wives... Uh, um, uh, the secret wives of Joseph Smith. These different books that we would have, and and so we would explain. But well, this is this is what what it really is. No, it's not. We did this. We waited ten more years, and in two thousand seventeen, we did the same exact illustration. My daughters were part of this, and so was my wife. They mm-hmm. dressed up as well. We did it two different Friday nights. Put them out there, and hardly a buzz. Nobody came up to us. <laughs> Everybody just ignored us. Nobody oh. was coming up angry. And we realized, wow, from what we saw in 2007 to what we saw in 2017 was night and day. The church before, most members didn't know Joseph Smith had been married to multiple wives. Now, it was embarrassing. They didn't like us standing out there. We weren't trying to mock or anything. It was was an object lesson. These are how many 33 is. Hmm. Now, 34 would be his wife, Emma, and then his first wife, and then all these other women that he married most secretly, uh, sisters involved,
1: mother and yeah. daughters. Uh, I mean, Women married to other men, like you said. Yeah, 11 yeah. of them.
0: And, yeah. and, the, and so these are the things that I think bother many Latter-day Saints and why we, I think, have seen, uh, really, we think a mass exodus. The church is in a lot of trouble. And that was even admitted by a church leader a few years ago at a Q&A session at a college in Utah where he said, yeah, it's pretty much an epidemic. We, we, we're struggling with this. Yeah. So they're doing everything they can. I don't know, Robbie, if they knew how negative the people were gonna take this. I think, and they bury, by the way, the gospel topic essays on their website. You have to click three times to get to these. <laughs> if of you go course, to our website, the front just type in gospel topics essays on mrm.org. We have a whole section. Yes, we want to link them over to those original articles. Yes, We have podcasts on, I think, every single one of those. Plus, we also have an article where we take that and we respond throughout and, and, and dissect it for the most part. That's and that's great. been very successful evangelistically because the history is probably killing them more than the doctrines are. Yeah. A lot of people are willing to accept
1: false doctrine but they're not willing to accept false history. That's very interesting. I think, too, like, it's it's kind of a... a the problem, it seems, that the Mormon Church has is when, when you start any type of a, a false religion like this, a cult like this, um, then they eventually, you know, Brigham Young's like, we got to get out of the country.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah, Which is what a lot of cult members do. Let's right. seclude our people away. Yeah. So they moved to what then was Mexico into the Great Salt Lake Valley. Yeah. And so they were out of the country, and... Um, secluded and so it's easy to control people's thoughts when you're the only people around (laughs) but now like you said with the internet the world has come to salt lake city and you can't keep these things a secret so yeah what are they to do they have to admit okay because people are going to know we're lying because we can't control thought like we used to be able to and so it's kind of a predicament for them and I'm glad that the truth, the truth is coming out and it's setting people free so that they don't have to believe in this lie anymore.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I, I think what this does for me is it makes me just feel such pity and sorrow that so many good people, Mormons are wonderful people. Yes. You know that.
1: Great neighbors, loving,
0: yes. And yet, it's like they have something green stuck in their tooth. And yeah. nobody wants to say anything about that. They're gonna, you're going to let a guy go all the way through the day with this green thing in their tooth. They see it in the mirror later and they wonder, why didn't anybody tell me? Yeah. I think when we bring up this history, when we bring up the differences of our doctrine, it's not because we are hateful toward the Latter-day Saints, but this is reality. Yeah. The internet is can lie, don't get me wrong, but when you have the abundance of evidence to say that Joseph Smith uh, manipulated women to marry him, he actually used this illustration. He said there was an angel of death Who had a sword, a flaming sword, and he would tell the girls, "If you don't marry me, I will be killed with this flaming angel sword." And so they were feeling pity for them, him, and so they were the prophet, right? Yeah. And so some people say, "Well, his polygamy was just uh, in name only." No, their own historians have said no sex was a part of the vast majority maybe not every single one of those 30 to 40 wives the church sure. says 30 to 40 you know there, there could be up to 40 or a few is 30 but still i mean you're having multiple sexual relations And the book of mormon itself in jacob chapter 2 says the only rightful time you should ever have polygamy if there is a time is to raise up seed but we don't see joseph smith bringing up children mm-hmm. if the women were becoming pregnant well, they had, li- many of them had living husbands. They could say it was, it was their kid. There, yeah. were, there was actually one case uh, that we, uh, pretty good indication that it might've been Joseph Smith's child, but you mm-hmm. know, we don't have the right kind of DNA to be able to figure all that out. There's sure. been some work done, but regardless, he, he should have been having lots of children, but, and a lot of people would say with the polygamy, well, there were more women than there were men in, in, in uh, Pioneer, Utah. Well, that is completely false. That It was close to being equal. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so what ends up happening when you take on 10 or 15 wives, you're leaving a bunch of other guys to yes. fend for themselves. We see this in Warren Jeff's group that the young boys were being kicked out. Yeah. And they were being told, get out of here and make your own living at the age of 15 because they didn't want them competing for those young girls that the older men were wanting. So 30 wow. and 40-year-old men are going after these 13-year-old girls. Uh, that's what got... Uh, Warren Jeff's in trouble in the first place. He had 70 some odd wives as young as 12 and when he had his relations with them, he would take those things. That's what was used against him in the court of law. He's in prison for the rest of his life. Why do we get so angry with Warren Jeff's
1: when Joseph Smith was doing the same thing. Well, because he's the prophet, Eric. Yeah. You don't understand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I agree. And so a great tactic to use with your with your Mormon friends would be just to show them what their own website is saying. Because correct me if I'm wrong on this, but if it's on LDS.org, it has to be sanctioned by the prophet, right? Yeah, it's it's been vetted by the First Presidency. It's official, they call it. Which means this is almost scripture, right? We sanction this as truth. Yeah. Yes, you're right on that. So if you just show them those those gospel principles essays, yeah, right. And that's what's gospel called, topics gospel essays. Topics.
0: Um, and again, you, the easiest way to get to them on the LDS site is go to mrm.org and we have a pull down category. Just go into gospel topics essays. Mm-hmm. We have them all listed there, linked to the church than the links that we have done in response because we thought those were important for us to cover uh, as they're trying to give answers. Yes. Not, I mean, you can give a response, but it doesn't mean it's a good response. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of Latter-day Saints, oh, we've already responded to the issue of Joseph Smith having many wives. Yeah, you did, but is it really satisfactory yeah. in the way that they've answered it? Are you okay that Joseph Smith in the 19th century was... Taking on young girls, hmm. a third of his wives were teenagers. Yeah. I mean, that has to. I mean, today, what do we call such a person? We, he's a pervert. He's he's a child molester. Yeah. This. I mean, uh, when the Me Too movement started a couple of years ago, um, somebody did a meme of all of these wives of Joseph Smith, and they all had little buttons that said Me Too, Me Too, wow. Me Too, because um, really. Weren't they abused? I mean, here's yes. a guy who can't give them what they really want. They want companionship. Mm-hmm. They want to be able to have a father for their children. And you're just messing around with them and you're
1: violating them yep. by having sex. And you're pushing them in that position because you're in a position of power and authority. Yes. Which is what a lot of the Me Too movement was about, that these guys are wielding their power to give me a movie role or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Si- similar thing was going on. And this is a problem of mankind, right? A lot. Oftentimes people do despicable things for money or for power or for sex. And that's what cult members are doing. And mm-hmm. that's that's again why Christianity proves itself to be true because all the disciples died for something and they didn't get money, power, or sex out of it. Right. <laughs> so it proves they must have really believed this. Why did they really believe it? And it's based on a historical event that wasn't a a boy in upstate New York alone in the woods experiencing. It was something that multiple people saw, 500 people at one time, all 12 of the disciples, and even enemies of Jesus saw him resurrected from the dead, and that converted them uh, to the reality that he is God. History is very important, and the Mormon leadership itself
0: has noted that if the first vision is not true, if Joseph Smith did not see God the Father and Jesus... Mm -hmm. And there's all kinds of problems with all the different versions and, and as if things were being added in later. Mm-hmm. And if the Book of Mormon story is not true, if there was not a people group called the Nephites and the Lamanites, and if there was none of that, and the archeology, span for instance, and the history we have says, no, in fact they don't even know where to look. Some Mormons think it happened here on the North American continent, but we have no evidence. So they have to go to Central America and borrow the Aztec and Mayan ruins to say, well, (laughs) those are the Lamanites. But let me tell you, Robbie, I go to Israel every year. And every year I'm standing on places like Capernaum and Caesarea and the Herodium. And we found Herod's tomb. And we go to Bethlehem and Jerusalem. These are real places describing real people. Mm-hmm. Yes, you have to still have faith, don't get me wrong. You can't empirically prove there is a God or that Jesus is, the, is resurrected. But mm-hmm. the evidence there, it seems to be the most logical conclusion to where the evidence leads us. When we come to Mormonism and we take a look at those two historical issues, mm-hmm. that's their, their resurrection from the dead of Jesus. For us, that's what we have to defend. They have to defend those two things. And they can't do either one very well. So, does this just become an esoteric faith? Does this just become existential that you just kind of have to believe it to be true by praying a prayer at mm-hmm. the end of the Book of Moroni, and you know in your heart is true? But as we've said in the previous broadcast, uh, Jeremiah 29:11 says, "The heart is deceptively wicked; who can mm-hmm. understand it?" And uh, Proverbs fourteen twelve says that it's not the way that you go about things, that yep. we can deceive ourselves. And if that's the case, then I want to let every Latter-day Saint know that there is something green between their teeth. They may not think that's good news. No, I think it's bad news, but it can be fixed. Yes. Just as a doctor who tells a patient that they don't have cancer when they really do because they didn't want to upset them. <laughs> well, a bad doctor would do that. A good doctor would give bad news but then say, yes, Joseph Smith is not true. You're not a true prophet. The LDS church is misleading you. That's bad news. I'm sorry that happened to you, but aren't you glad there is a God and there yes. is a Jesus. And I don't want you to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Most Mormons who leave end up becoming agnostic or atheist. They say, if the church is not true, then nothing else is because there's that great apostasy. Mm. It's all been tainted. But if it hasn't been tainted, and this is fascinating to me why Mormons will Uh, former Mormons will deny everything their church says, except that one lie. If Mormonism Hmm. isn't true, then nothing else is. Why are you accepting the one last thing they've told you? Yeah, don't believe that. If it's not true, that could be a lie itself. Just do opposite on everything (laughs) and say, well, none of that's true. And the idea that there can't be truth, no, I think there is a God. Mm And read your Bible and look at the history, study the evidence, so much apologetic information. To be able to take ownership of this thing we call Christianity.
1: Well, and one question I've, I've never had answered by a Mormon missionary is why would God allow for, you know, I mean, what, 1,700 years an apostasy? Didn't he care about those people knowing truth? Why wait until so late in the game? Why wait until Joseph Smith comes along uh, to give and restore the church to what it was supposed to be? Why didn't he do it a hundred years after it got off track?
0: Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He says, I'm sending you the Holy Ghost who will be your
1: comforter. Yeah.
0: The gates
1: of hell won't prevail against the church. so
0: much, Robbie. And so, yeah, why... Why would he do that? Well, the, the Mormon church has the answer. Well, he knew that there would be baptism for the dead in the temple. And so they'll have a chance in the next life, don't worry about that, we'll do the work. And everybody <laughs> will get the work taken care of because we have human bodies. Because we have human bodies, that means in our first life called the pre-existence, that when we were there, we chose Jesus as our savior, and not Lucifer. Like mm-hmm. one third of our spirit brothers and sisters who were cast out of heaven, not given a body. So because of that good choice, you, you already made one good choice. You didn't hear about it, that's okay. We have work uh, and that's why we do genealogy. That's why we're gonna go in there and we're gonna get that work done for you. So mm-hmm. we can be what's called a savior on Mount Zion. Mm-hmm. You're actually instrumental as being a piece to be able to have missionaries appear in the next life They'll get the gospel in the full form, and they'll have every opportunity to choose.
1: Which means I don't need to become a Mormon right now because I'm going to give them a the second well, chance. What they would say on that one is
0: you—you've already heard. Obviously, you already know. But for those oh, okay. those seventeen hundred years, those people didn't hear before Joseph Smith. Oh, I see. So, and, we'll, but we'll take care of that. Well, and for you and me, we'll have also the opportunity to accept, but. We're probably going to head to the terrestrial kingdom. But if you ask a Latter day Saint, if you were to die right now, which kingdom of the three would you go to? The celestial, the terrestrial, or the telestial kingdom? And they won't, rarely will they ever say they know right now, if they were to die, they'd go to the celestial kingdom. They probably, for most Mormons I've talked with, probably will end up in the terrestrial kingdom. Really? So you'll end up there. Where am I going to head? Terrestrial, because
1: well, you're a moral, nice I'm a person. Nice person. Yeah.
0: You say you seem like you're pretty nice. Do you kill anybody? No. Do you commit adultery? No. That's for celestial kingdom people. Well, you'll probably be there too. So we'll be there together. Yeah. Now, here's the thing, Robbie. You both can't be right. Pascal's wager. You know, yes. Not a reason to believe in Christianity, but it's a reason to consider you might be wrong. What if you are wrong? Mormon is right. I seem to be in the same boat he is. Just yeah. like if the atheist is right, we're both going to turn to dust. So yeah. we're not. I don't have much to lose. Uh, you know, either way. I mean, it's, you know, if you're right, then, you're, then you okay. and I, I couldn't, if I went over to your side, it wouldn't have helped me at all. Yep. I would, still would have been there. But if it's true that, and both of us could be wrong, but mm-hmm. if it is true that Mormonism is wrong and Christianity is right, there is a difference between the resurrection on life and the resurrection on damnation. Mm-hmm. There are, there is resurrection for everybody, Yes. but the great white throne is not going to be a pleasant place. You can say to Jesus... Lord, Lord, look at all the good things I've done. Mm-hmm. And Jesus is going to say, I didn't know you because the blood of the lamb did not cover that individual and he was not regenerated. Yep. And that's why I do what I do. I'm full-time missionary in, in Utah uh, because I care very much about the Mormon people, having never been Mormon, but I love Mormons because generally they're willing to sit down and have an intelligent conversation. And if you're somebody listening here who has an LDS friend... Ask some questions. Ask them why are they LDS. Bring up some topics. You might get into a topic without having to Bible bash or yeah. or, or uh, you know. Don't ever go against the person. Go against their philosophy and the philosophy that we have. We should be willing to have it attacked. Hopefully mm-hmm. nobody attacks us. Although there have been atheists who go after us personally. Sure. But but same thing. We don't want to go after that person and create what are called ad hominem attacks. But rather we want to go after the the uh, philosophy if Mormonism is true it should be able to stand on its own two legs yes and if it doesn't if it's not true then it should be easily shown to be false and then somebody could say, I could do the
1: same with your Christianity. Okay, well, that's where we go to the well, let's resurrection. Let's talk about it. Yeah, let's, let's go talk about it. the evidence. Let's look yeah. at it. Absolutely. And that's that's what we're called to be as ambassadors, right? Uh, get, being given the ministry of reconciliation. That's right. what we're to go and do uh, to the world. So, Eric, thanks so much for sharing all of your wisdom on uh, Mormonism and, and their belief on being the restored church and what the current prophet's saying. This has just been a really great... Uh, time, a really enriching time for me to learn and to think through these issues. So really appreciate what you were doing with Mormonism Research Ministry. It was my pleasure, Robbie. Thanks for having me on. Yep. Well, thanks for listening again this week, and, and our goal here at Christ Culture and Coffee is that we want to equip Christians to be able to defend their faith and to be confident in their faith. And, and I hope that as we talk with Eric today, um, you would be confident in what you believe in and you would see the lies and the issues that the Mormon faith has, and that you could take that uh, evidence, you could take those arguments, and you could love people enough to, to tell them that they're believing in a lie and that you have the truth and that you wanna help them see who Jesus really is. So that's the goal of this podcast. We just ask that you go out and you be good ambassadors for the Lord. Well, thanks once again for being with us, and we will see you next week.
0: You have been listening to Christ, Culture, and Coffee, a podcast
1: ministry of Desert Springs Community Church in Goodyear, Arizona. For more information, visit our website at dscchurch.com.